This morning's reading is from Mark 10, verses 17 to 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much as this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to, age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Having heard this reading, you might well be sitting there, crossing your arms, and bracing yourself for a sermon that tells you that you, um, if you're rich and well-off and comfortable financially, then it's going to be jolly difficult for us to enter the kingdom of God. Well, firstly, I wouldn't dare to be that bold. And secondly, I think that this is possibly a rather simplistic interpretation of the text, so bear with me. Jesus' parables were anything but simplistic and obvious, his parables and his stories. Our first impression of these stories and these parables that Jesus told really only scratch the surface. We have to ruminate on them, chew them over, and let them read us. So let us start at the beginning and look at the man who approached Jesus. He was obviously in awe of Jesus and in a hurry. We're told that he ran up to him and fell on his knees. The question was really urgent in his eyes. I can imagine him 
seeing that Jesus was leaving and finally mustering the courage to approach him, quickly running after him and throwing himself at his feet, eager to answer, eager to hear the answer of the question that was burning a hole in his heart. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is an interesting question. Two things strike me. What must I do and what is meant by eternal life? If we were to transport ourselves back to first century Palestine, the phrase eternal life might be understood slightly differently to our interpretation now. Eternal life was the age to come. First century Jews were accustomed to thinking about the present age and the age to come. The present age that they were living in right now was marked by oppression, by sin and injustice. The age to come, they expected to be ushered in by a great event, bringing freedom, peace, justice and judgment. God would renew the world and the Jews generally believed that the righteous would be raised to new life. The kingdom of God is another way of expressing this hope. Naturally, many Jews wanted to be sure that they would be part of this. Leading Jews would have answered the rich man's question with an interpretation of the law. Jesus' response required a radical rethink about what it meant to put God first and also how God treated his people. Also, in the Jewish understanding, goodness and righteousness was rewarded by riches. Traditionally, they thought that God rewarded obedience to the Torah by giving wealth and health. So to be told to give away your riches would have been rather confusing and would undermine and challenge their understanding of who they thought God was and how he treated their people. The man's question also tells us how he sees himself in relation to God. His starting point is I. What do I have to do? So this speaks into works versus grace. Surely, it is within my power to ensure I am welcomed into the kingdom, that I inherit eternal life. The misunderstandings of who Jesus is, of who God is, are rife. The fact that the man is adamant that he has done all the right things and kept all the commandments speak into this way of thinking. However, the pivotal verse for me, the one that stops me in my tracks, is verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I can just see the earnest face of that young man, confused, bewildered, searching for understanding. And Jesus sees him 
He is full of compassion for him. He sees into his heart and he knows what he is lacking. It is such a profound moment. What does Jesus see when he looks into his heart? What is it that he lacks? Is it just that he lacks understanding? Or is it that his heart is too full of stuff? Too full of worldly distractions and strivings? What does Jesus see when he looks into our hearts? Are they too full of stuff? Is Jesus pushed out to the edges? Is he a a tick-bock exercise on a Sunday morning? Or is he front and centre? But he looks at us and he loves us. He's full of compassion, full of forgiveness, wanting to lead us down a different path. So this isn't just about having too much money necessarily. It's about what our hearts are full of. What are our minds full of, preoccupied with? What are our priorities? Jesus offers us treasure in heaven. Treasures available to taste now. Come, follow me. The man couldn't make room for Jesus. He couldn't receive the love that Jesus was offering. His heart was too full of stuff. He had done all the right things, obeyed all the rules, lived the life, but his heart wasn't free to choose. There was just no more room. And this too is our choice. Saying we follow Jesus is a commitment, a sacrifice, yes, but it flows out of a relationship, a loving relationship with the one who gave it all so that we have the choice of a relationship that enables us to thrive and flourish as the people we are meant to be. Jesus knows that this is really hard. He says as much in verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Not some things, all things are possible with God. Maybe all we need is the willingness to try. Maybe that's what grace is for. We all stumble, we all fall along the way. But God knows our heart. He sees it, he sees us, he looks at us. He knows when we try with integrity and honesty. Jesus calls us all, come, follow me. We only have to say yes then we just take it one step at a time. Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit guides us. And God directs the path. Let us pray. 
Father, you know the state of each of our hearts. We want to say yes to you, but sometimes we put obstacles in the way. Sometimes there are blockages we aren't even aware of. Help us to become aware of what is preventing us from fully following you. And give us the grace to receive the love that will set us free. All I am and have and ever hope to be, all of my ambitions, hopes and plans, I surrender these into your hands. Amen.